Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. I'm our regular. This is episode number 30, and our special guest is the play-by-play voice of the Detroit Red Wings, the one and only Ken Cal. And uh, a little different podcast today. What we're going to do is, is we're going to look at the preseason and then review the upcoming week for the Red Wings and the season in general with Ken. Uh, we'll have him on later when I'll get in-depth and find out everything that you've always wanted to know about Ken Cal. Very interesting man who has a lot of dark secrets. But, uh, <laughs> but no, I, I tease Kenny. I've known him a long time. We're, we're real good friends. And Ken, thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. It's always good to be here with you, Art. Uh, reminds me of our old radio days when we would talk about the team. And we always had a lot of fun and a lot of interesting conversations. Well, we certainly did. And, yeah, we go back back so long that uh, you were the play-by-play voice of Michigan hockey and I was covering Michigan hockey for uh, one of the radio stations PZA or PAG whatever it was back then and I cannot believe till this day that you and I drove to Kalamazoo and back on a Friday and then did it again on a Saturday instead of staying the, the night over in a game where Michigan lost, what was it, like 10 nothing yeah. in a playoff game to Western? Yeah, it closed out the series, too. And I remember Red being very unhappy the whole summer, and he couldn't wait to get back into it. But th- those were the growing pains, I think, that Red and his team went through. But after that, it seemed like uh, the team got a lot better, and they performed better in the playoffs, eventually won that national championship. Uh, the year after I took the Red Wings job, and that was in 1996. Right. Well, I remember, obviously, Brendan Morrison scoring the goal, I believe, in Cincinnati uh, in overtime against, mm-hmm. was it Colorado College or uh, for, for Michigan to win? And before we get into the Red Wings, and we will, but a guy that really was influential in both of our careers was the head hockey coach at Michigan for 30-plus seasons, uh, Red Berenson. And... Uh, uh, can you reflect a little bit on him, Ken? I mean, what he meant to you, and because he was not always kind of like Scotty Bowen to a degree. He wasn't the easiest guy to get along with, but really a heart of gold. Well, you're right about that, and I, I just think that Red always wanted to make you a better person, and uh, in our case, a better broadcaster. And right. He wanted you to be around the team, and he wanted you to know everything about the team, and he always gave you tips on, on how you should be better as a man, as a person, and better at your trade, which to us was broadcasting. And I can remember one time we used to do a Red Berenson show at Banfields, yes. and um, he came in one time, and this was in 1995, it would have been in February of 95, and he says, Ken, he goes, he says, I think you're done at Michigan. And I'm like, what do you mean, Red? And he said, uh, he says, well, he says, you're done here. You know, he says, uh, you've reached as high as you can go. And I'm like, but Red, you know, the team's about ready to win a national championship. I don't want to go anywhere. I was with you since 84. And he says, no, what I mean by that is, is you're ready for the next jump, which could be, you know, uh, the AHL or the NHL. He says, right. you, you've improved that much. And uh, from that point on, it was like, well, wow, thanks, Red. And, um, you know, that, that spring is when Bruce Martin retired. I applied for the Red Wing job and got the Red Wing job. So maybe he knew something I didn't know. But uh, that's the thing about Red. He, he was a he, great hockey man. Um, you know, he loved being around Yost Ice Arena. He loved being around his players. And uh, certainly hope that he's enjoying his time now that Melvin Pearson has taken over the Michigan hockey team. Right, exactly. And it's not much of a... Uh difference, I think, between Mel, who was with Red for 20-some-plus years uh, behind the Michigan bench. Red, obviously influential for me. I, I can remember one time I was working for Mr. Monahan's station. Uh, at, uh, when he owned PZA, he changed the call letters, and we always had to wear uh, 
like a suit or tie or we always had to be dressed up and you know, I was complaining to Red about it in his office there on Hoover Street and uh, he looked at me and he, he said well you know Part of being a team is to be uniformed in that if you're all you know, dressed up and dressed nice, it, it creates an atmosphere where you're all on the same page. And, you know, I never really forgot that. And, you know, obviously they wear a uniform on the ice, but for the most part when the Red Wings or a team is on the road, they are all in suit and tie. You as a broadcaster are in a suit and tie. So, you know. well, well, that reminds me of when uh, we were on the road in Sault Ste. Marie one time, and Drew McCaughey, who was my color man or analyst at the time, we were going out to watch the ships come in on the Saturday after the Friday night game. And Red saw me coming out of the hotel, and I was dressed in raggedy jeans and, you know, a shirt. And he comes up to me, he said, Dan Kelly would never dress like that. So I got, I got the, uh, you know, the idea of, of Red saying, hey, listen, if you're going to be professional, dress like a professional. From that point on, everywhere I go, I usually wear a shirt and a tie and a sport coat. Right, and it's, it's very... Uh... Uh, you, you are really, I think, around the NHL, when they think of broadcasters, the man who sets the fashion standard is Ken Cal. I don't know about that, Art. <laughs> uh, you know, another thing I want to clear up, a couple of weeks ago, I know it was your birthday recently, uh, your lovely wife, uh, Darlene, just a terrific woman, threw you a surprise birthday party, which you tweeted out, the cake, mm -hmm. which was wonderful and all that. Well, I tweeted it out. And hence, I kept getting people wishing me happy birthday. <laughs> so, so I tried, How did that happen? I don't know. I tried to clear it up. I said, thank you, but it's Ken's birthday. My birthday is not yet, but, you know, but we're the same age, essentially. So, uh, so anyway, but happy, uh, happy belated birthday. Let's, uh, let's get to talking to the, uh, uh, about the Red Wings. Uh, interesting preseason, kind of ragged uh, uh, lineup sprinkled with veterans, except last Friday when they when they played the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, three, four, and one. Your impressions of the team? Although we know it's difficult to draw impressions when you have 80 guys in camp. Well, you know, Art, it's different. Uh, you and I go back a long time, and uh, back in the day, it was all veterans on this Red Wing team, and not many youngsters made it. You know, maybe one, if that, per season. But it's a little bit different now in the fact that, um, you know, the team is changing a lot. Uh, the superstars aren't like they were, you know, when you had Fedorov and Shanahan and Iserman and Lidstrom. It's a little bit different looking team right now. And so it really was hard to gauge the preseason. But with that said, I was pretty impressed with some of the young guys that did perform. Obviously, Rasmussen, he's going to need a little more seasoning, although he did score four goals in his games. Um, you know, I thought Joe Hicketts was really good. I thought maybe right. perhaps he'd be on the starting roster because I thought he really played well, and Jeff Blaschel was talking so highly of him. But he'll start the year in Grand Rapids, although I think if there's an injury, he might be one of the first ones called up. Um, you know, then you look at um, you know the different the different veterans that played on this team. Zetterberg didn't really play much. I don't think he needs to play that much. Right. You want to save him for the regular season. But overall, you really can't look at playoff records. I mean, Montreal won one game, I think, in the preseason. But I'm going to tell you something. They're going to get out to a good start, I believe. I think they're still a strong team. Washington Capitals were the same way. So uh, it's it's hard to gauge because sometimes you have. You don't have a lot of veterans on your team. You have a lot of youngsters that you're looking at. And then, you know, from that point on, uh, the mismatches are there, and you really can't tell 
you know, how your team's looking against the veteran team if you have all youngsters. Right. You, you mentioned Michael Rasmussen. There were a lot of people who said, well, why didn't he make the team? You know, I mean, the, I think fans, some fans are eager just to see this team go, go as young as possible. And uh, the fact is, is that Michael Rasmussen, the way the leagues are, because he plays in the Canadian Hockey League, in, 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 which is the, the Quebec majors, the Ontario Hockey League, and the Western League, you either, and Giovanni Smith was also in the same predicament, you, because he's not 20 years old, he can't play in the AHL. He either has to make the Red Wings or go back to his junior team. And as wonderful as Michael Rasmussen was, and as surprising as he was to, I think, some of the Red Wing officials, because his hand-eye coordination is incredible, uh, he does, he needs to get bigger. He, he wanted to go back to Tri-Cities because he's going to be captain of the team at 18 years old. So uh, I know fans are eager to see the next generation of Red Wings, but let's concentrate on this generation of Red Wings. Ken, you know as well as I do, you called all the games last year. I don't know if I've ever seen a team, and I'm not trying to make an excuse, where almost the entire roster underachieved. Their expectations were much higher. Their own expectations on themselves and management's expectations are on them. Uh, I guess I look at it and see even if half of those guys rebound, the Red Wings should at least be competitive this year. Well, one of the things I think uh, I've noticed last year and going into this year is that the way the team is built right now, you can't afford you, you need everybody working together, right. and you can't have players taking nights off. So in order for this team to win, everyone's going to have to play, everyone's going to have to show up and, and be the best that they can be. That's, that's my take. Now, with that said, offense is a key. The Red Wings, they, they lacked goal scoring last year. In fact, you look back over the last three or four years, they haven't really scored many goals. Last season, uh, the Red Wings were 26th in the NHL with 198 goals scored. Now you compare that with the Maple Leafs. The Maple Leafs scored 250 goals. And what, you, what a year you know, Marner and Matthews and Connor Brown, all those guys had. The other thing is, is they were 26th in goals against. They gave up 244 goals. That number has to be better. And you can't have two goaltenders making $9 million and uh, have a save percentage is around 90%. That has to be better. So with that said, Jimmy and Peter Morazic need to be better in goal. Howard had a terrific year, I thought, last year. It's unfortunate he got hurt. If he can stay healthy and put the numbers up, I think they'll be okay. With that said, Morazic's in a contract year this year. I love players in contract years because they always seem to play better, Art. So I'm looking forward to Peter Morazic. Um, you know, be, having a better year and uh, the Red Wing goaltending being a little bit better than they were a year ago. One of the things I think that we tend to forget because, you know, we grew up in the United States and English, you know, well, debatable, but English is our native tongue, is that many of these players that we're dealing with, uh, even though they can speak English, they were born in different countries and they don't think in English. Let's put it that way. Peter Razak, I think, has gotten kind of a reputation of being a bit aloof. I don't know how much you've talked to him in this preseason, but he does, he does seem to be a bit of a changed man. He's a lot more gregarious. I'm not going to say friendly, or he doesn't have to be our buddy, don't get me wrong, but he just seems to be a changed individual. That, you know, that the, whether it's maturity, attitude readjustment, or whatever it was, Morazek seems to be a different player. Have, have you spent enough time with him to get that same feeling. Well, I've been around him up in Traverse City, and I've been around him here in Little Caesars Arena during the games. And one thing I can tell you is, uh, obviously, he's aware of the fact 
that he didn't have a good year last year. He knows he can play better. He wasn't taken in the expansion draft by Vegas. I think maybe he thought he was going to be taken, but he wasn't. And I, I think he understands the fact that Jimmy had a good year, and there's a competition amongst goaltenders in Detroit. Who's going to be the number one guy? So I think he gets it now. I think he understands the fact that, hey, this is a tough league. It's not you can just go out there and, and just do your thing. You've got to work, and you've got to work at how you play, and, and you've got to practice hard each and every day. And I think he's realizing that, which is good because um, sometimes pros go through different things in their careers where they learn something about themselves, like we all do, mm -hmm. and you have to change the way you do things. And I think Peter Morazic has learned the hard way that this is a tough league. you got to go out there and perform each and every night, and you got to do your best. It's so bizarre what happened to him. He was among the league leaders in goaltending goal categories. I mean, people were speaking of perhaps Vesna Trophy, on his birthday, not last season, but a season ago, so that would be, what, 2016, I guess. In February of 2016, they had that game against the Boston Bruins where... The on his birthday. Yeah, on his birthday, right, that where they give up five goals. The Red Wings are down, and miraculously, somehow, they win the game 6-5, but, but then the bottom just seemed to drop out on him, and he hasn't been the same. Uh, but you could almost say... In a strange sense, as, as I alluded to earlier in the in the Red and White Authority here, that the bottom fell out for a lot of guys last year. I can't remember watching a team collectively underachieve like the Red Wings did last year. It, it is almost mind-boggling when you look at it that way. Yeah, and then you combine 300 man games lost to injury. Right, exactly. That doesn't help your cause at all either. So guys like Riley Sheehan, I believe we'll have more than two goals this year. It's just the way it goes. I mean, right. he's a guy that can score 15, 16 goals a year, if not more, uh, you know, just because he's out there and pucks will bounce in off you. He had a tough year last year, Art. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I thought, I thought Tatar came on strong in March and April, but he's got to show some type of consistency throughout the entire year. Gustav Nyquist is the same way. I thought he had pretty good numbers in the preseason. They're counting on these guys to help score goals. And with that said... Andreas Athanasiu, who didn't play a lot of minutes last year, I think he averaged 14 minutes a game, scored 17 goals. He's not here right now because of a contract dispute. So you're going to miss that offense from Andreas Athanasiu. Players who performed, who did not perform last year, need to step up their game. And it's not just a handful. It's not the guys we mentioned. It's everybody on this team. Right. And what you need, especially from your third and fourth line players, is sometimes you got to bail out your top six forwards by scoring goals and helping out offensively because if you don't, it puts the pressure on your top six forwards to perform each and every night, and they're going against the other team's best. The other thing, Art, is the Red Wings need to generate offense from their defense. Right. They, other than Mike Green last year, they really didn't contribute offensively. That needs to change. And I think with Trevor Daly back in, in the mix back there, I think Jensen's going to provide some offense uh, you know, back there. But DeKaiser and Erickson and Willette and whoever they put back there, somehow they're going to have to deliver offensively, find ways to generate more points. I would imagine, and I haven't talked to Jeff Blaschler, Ken Holland, or Ryan Martin or any of the, uh, the powers that be here in Detroit, but you would have to think, based on how he's played, and because he's, but he's not the biggest guy, that some of these Red Wings could be on a short leash, and if they don't get out to a, a fast start, and if the defense uh, is not producing points on the back end, as we say, then maybe a guy like Hicketts might 
get a look at. Well, you're right, and there's always injuries, Art. And um, you know, we mentioned the 300 man games lost right, the injury right. last year. Players are always going down. Look at Jonathan Quick last year from the the Kings. He was out in October, and that really just threw a monkey wrench into their off or defensive game, right. the Los Angeles Kings. So injuries happen. But with that said, I like the fact that we do have some depth back there now. You can call up a guy like Joe Hicketts and know what he's going to give you game in and game out. And and that's what it's all about too. I believe is is the consistency factor and that's what made Nicholas Lidstrom he was a superstar player right but he gave you a consistency game in and game out you knew exactly how he was going to play Konstantinov was the same way what you don't want are players to have you know a couple of good games and a couple of bad games because you don't know where they're going to be you got to be consistent and I think that's what everybody should strive for you know, like the old, I, I don't know if it's Joni Mitchell, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. I think when Nick retired, we actually realized just how tremendous of a player he was. And Mike Babcock last year after the Centennial Classic, uh, Nick played in the alumni game, said he could be, you put Nick on Detroit's power, current power play and it's significantly better. But the one thing that I remember about Nick was after Sidney Crosby's rookie year, they said, what, did, what stood out to you? What did you really learn about the NHL? And he said, I really learned how much Nick Lidstrom controlled a hockey game. That when he's out on the ice, the game is his. He said, so many times I think I would be breaking into the net you know, going against him, and the next thing I would know, I'm doing all these fancy moves, skating in on goal, and the Red Wings are up ice because he took the puck, he took the puck off my stick, and and they're moving forward. So they haven't recovered from that yet. But you know, you don't really recover from an immortal when one of the immortals of the sports retires. Yet, defensively, offensively, goaltending, as you said, the key is is that everybody has to raise their level this year for the Red Wings. It's, 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 it's easier said than done, but basically that's what it comes down to. And the other thing, too, and we didn't talk about it, is the power play and penalty kill. Oh, right. Special teams are really important in this league. It really is because um, sometimes that can mean the difference in the standings for you. Teams that have good power plays, and really good penalty kills are often the top teams in the league. The Red Wings last year really didn't fare well. I mean, their, their power play was 27th in the league. Their penalty kill was 16th. So those numbers have to increase. And if you can increase your power play, the numbers of your, of your goal scores increase as well, and that gives you a jump. I mean, it really does. You look at Nyquist's numbers or Tatar's numbers, um, you know, Mantha's numbers, even though he did have a good year, they start scoring on the power play. All of a sudden, you know, you're, you've got four, five, 20 goal scorers on your team. If you can't score power play goals, your numbers are going to be down. But that's an area where I believe the Red Wings also need improvement. Their special teams play. The power play looked good in the preseason. Hopefully that can carry into the regular season. Well, the power play was really almost a horror show on the road. They scored that goal, a power play goal, early in New York where Jimmy was brilliant. I think it was like a Sunday night or Wednesday night rivalry, whatever NBC calls it. And... They didn't score one for what three or four months on the road. Yeah. They didn't score power play And that's play not going to happen again. Right. This I mean, year. there was a lot of anomalies last year that you look at. You kind of from Riley Shea struggling to uh, to the power play on the road being like zero for a hundred or whatever it was. I mean, it was some sort of astounding statistic. When we look at it, and we you know we said there were three, four, and one this year. Uh, we've talked a little bit about about 
you know, Michael Rasmussen, who was impressive, Joe Hicketts, who was impressive, but as we've uh, elaborated on here, you know, the team itself is essentially the same, meaning that they all have to pick it up. Yet, if you look at this schedule, and I'm not sure if it's because the Pistons are sharing Little Caesars Arena and the way the schedule maker goes, and, you know, Paul McCartney was just here, and Lord knows, you know, somebody else is going to be here, you know, this weekend probably or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of things happening at this arena. But their schedule, especially early on, they're on the road for, what, what, 12 of 16, 17 games. They have to get off to a fast start. Well, you're right. But with that said, I thought that the Red Wings had a better – Road, they were better on the road last year than at home. Right. They've got to make Little Caesars Arena a tough environment for teams to come in here and play. And I think over the last couple of years, you look at the Red Wings' home record, and it hasn't really been marvelous at all. So, you know, that's that's one of the things I'm I'm looking forward to this season is the crowd here, how loud it's going to be because we really didn't have 20,000 fans in Little Caesars Arena during the preseason. But I, I'm hoping that this is going to be an environment where visiting teams are going to come in and say, wow, we're down already a goal or a half a goal before we even start because of the crowd. So I'm looking forward to that. But with that said, you got to win on the road too. And it's a tough schedule. It's a tough beginning for the Red Wings because they play 12 of the first 17 on the road. And then at the back end of the schedule, when you really, when the, the playoff dogfight begins, yeah. the Wings are playing, I think, 18 of their last 22 or 23 games on the road. That's a tough schedule, especially when everybody is trying to make the playoffs. I've never quite seen a schedule like this before. I and mean, we've been following this team since we were little boys. Not that we really followed the schedule when we were kids, but this is a, this is just a weird schedule, and you would think, well, you know, in the past, every four years or so, you'd say Olympic break, but there's no Olympic break, but they do get a bye week again, or you know, that five days off. It, I just really have. When I looked at this schedule, I kind of shook my head, and I thought, no, this has got to be a joke, but it's not. I mean, so they, it's difficult. Uh, your impressions of Little Caesars Arena, where you're, you know, you don't know this, but in, where I sit in the gondola. If I overlook it, I can see you and Paul. <laughs> I sit right above you guys. Uh, it's a vantage point. We're right at center ice, which is good. Uh, I thought for being a half-full arena, it was really loud in there. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm really eager to see what it, you know, what it sounds like with 20,000, but broadcast location, your impressions of Little Caesars thus far, and do you think the Red Wings, because... It's new to them, too, even though they'll, you know, teams are starting to learn it. You know, the boards, I guess, are a little different than they were at the Joe, but, uh, but the Red Wings seem to be assimilating themselves very well into this environment. Can they turn it around on the ice? Well, from our broadcast location, uh, anything's better than Joe Lewis Arena from our broadcast. Uh, <laughs> I, I love calling games there, and I like the arena. This is much better. Uh, our booth right now is like a mansion compared to Joe Lewis <laughs> Arena. You and Paul were like almost arm in arm because you, you, you had to be. Yeah, I mean, it was like you could barely fit a third person in there, and uh, our host... Uh, Jeff Rieger had to go outside the booth and be next to a camera guy to do his, um, you know, his hosting for the show and for right. the for the game. So it, it's nice to be able to have an engineer. Our engineer was on the fifth floor. He wasn't even with us, so right. if he had a problem. He had to run down and and fix things. So so from that standpoint, that's great having more room and uh, it just makes things a little bit easier. You can spread your notes around and really be comfortable and feel comfortable. The other thing is is we really have a good bird's eye view of the ice. Joe Lewis Arena, the call game there was really good, to be honest with you. You were lower to the ice, 45 feet above the ice, but you were really close to the action. Uh, here, you're higher up, you're about 97 feet up, 
closer to the arena or to the boards and, and really getting a good bird's eye view of the action. So from the first four home games that we broadcast, Paul and I, uh, it, really a good vantage point and uh, just excellent to be able to call a game from Little Caesars Arena. So uh, I'm hoping, like I said, this is going to be an intimidating rink for a lot of teams coming in. I, I can't see why it wouldn't because uh, Red Wing fans are usually pretty loud. And, and you just think back out of the playoff games at the Joe and how loud oh, it was wow. there. It's going to be even <clears throat> more louder here just because of the fact that everything is close and everything is built um, you know, up and down as opposed to being far out. When uh, you, we talked about, about, about Joe Lewis Arena, a lot of great memories, a lot of great memories uh, hopefully are going to be established here. The one thing that Austin Matthews said last Friday was he thought it was a spectacular arena, but there was a lot of red. And I mean, if, if red is your favorite color, this has got to be the arena for you because the inside is, is just, it's beautiful. I mean, it, it is red though. I mean, if the, you better like red because if red's hard on your eyes, you might want to wear sunglasses because there's a lot of it. Well, again, you know, you, it's intimidating, I guess. You know, if, it, right. if, if players notice that, it's like you go to Toronto, it's, everything's blue over there. It's just the way it is. You know? I mean, you want it to be red here. You don't want any other color. But, uh, I can remember the old Metton in Minnesota where the seats were different colors. They were white and, and gold and green, and you know they had all different colors. And I guess the reason why they had those different color seats is when the arena was empty, it looked like people were sitting in there because they had all different colors. Right. But um, you know, I, I think this is going to be a really good place, and, and for the fans listening to a the Red and White Authority right now with you, Art. I just think that if you're coming to a game, get here early, get a chance to get a feel of Little Caesars Arena, walk around, enjoy all the restaurants and the bars, and and uh, really make it a fun night. And afterwards, don't try to beat the traffic. Uh, hang out afterwards, and you're really going to enjoy yourself. Right, I agree with that. I mean, they incorporated the look of it. Uh, I don't know what player said it. I don't know if it was a Red Wing player or visiting player, but it doesn't look like a spaceship landed on top of, uh, you like know. Like Arizona. <laughs> like a building, and you have all this, you know, all this glass and all this. It, it really incorporated the tradition of the city. Detroit, obviously a big industrial city, and uh, uh, there is a lot to do in the concourses, both levels. But the, the main lower concourse is absolutely fantastic. There's, there's something there for Piston and Red Wing fans. It's, uh, it, it truly is a great environment. Uh, Ken, let's look at the, the schedule. The, the, the uh, Wings open up Thursday against the uh, Minnesota Wild, and then they find themselves on a four-game road trip. Ottawa, and then next week they're in Dallas, Arizona, and then on Friday the 13th, and they, they are in Las Vegas, and obviously... Uh, after the tragedy, the uh, the massacre that happened there, you know, speaking for Ken too, you know, our thoughts and prayers are certainly with them. But uh, uh, it's just kind of odd, you know. Red Wings were talking about that, how you know they're going to be playing in Vegas here in you know about ten days. But this is very early on a fairly daunting schedule for them because every team wants to, you know, points in October is just as important as they are in April and uh, March, but. Uh, you know, Minnesota, very good team, and then they go play Ottawa, and they might have caught a break on Saturday because Eric Carlson, really kind of almost a gruesome story where he gets his half his ankle bone has been removed. Mm -hmm. So I don't know when he's coming back, but, uh, you know, this is uh, the schedule opens up, and the Red Wings got to be uh, ready from the get-go. Well, I think there's winnable games here, Art, when you think about it. You know, opening night, the 
the fans are going to be into it. The Wings are going to be into it. They want to win their opener here. So good chance that the Red Wings could win that game. The Wings had Ottawa's number last year. Even though they really played well and advanced into the playoffs, the Wings beat them three out of four times. So there's a winnable game in Ottawa. Then the Red Wings have always done well in Dallas over the last seven right, or eight years. Right. So they don't play them as much as they played them before, but that's a winnable game. Then you've got Arizona and Vegas. And, and Arizona, they, they didn't win last year, but history shows that the Red Wings always play well in Arizona. And then you got to beat the expansion team. You just have to. So there's there are winnable games there before they come back and play a team that's had their number over the last couple of years, and that's the Tampa Bay Lightning. Right, right. Tampa Bay with 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 uh, you know with Steve Eiserman at the helm certainly, and then and then Toronto, who also as of late seems to have their number a little bit too. They play great games against one another, uh, back and forth affairs, and whether you're in Toronto or Detroit, each fan base kind of populates the other one's arena, and the go Leafs go, let's go Red Wings chance back and forth, a, a, a great environment. But it is important, we've stressed it, that they have to get off to a very, very good start. Uh, yeah, I was going to say as you were breaking down the schedule, you almost sound like a Lions fan. Well, this game's winnable, this game's winnable. Uh, but, but they are. I mean, no, they, I mean, they are. I, mean, I, I would want to see a schedule where the Red Wings start off and you know they play Anaheim, LA and San Jose because as we all know going out to California it wasn't like it was years ago. Those are tough Right. tough games to win. I I look at this schedule and I say, well, you know what? Uh, you know, maybe the Red Wings they're still rebuilding, but it's a good way to to get off on the road to play games against teams that you have a really good opportunity to come away with points. Right. And that's that's the thing. You get to 30 games lost in regulation are you're not going to make the playoffs right. so you got to be able to get points in each and every game so that means playing tight games the red wings last year played i think 50 a little over 50 game one goal games and if you can win more of those one goal games are you're gonna you're gonna make the playoffs ken let's look at, at you know goal scoring has been uh, at a premium for the red wings they really need to uh, uh they really need to change that uh henrik zetterberg uh tatar and Nyquist are, are essentially going to be Detroit's first line. Uh, uh, certainly, uh, Nyquist has to up it in the goal category, but you know he's almost reverting back to the, the player he was in college at the University of Maine. A lot of assists, not too many goals. Tatar has to score some goals. Uh, Zetterberg, you, you've got to wonder, at 36 uh, years old, how much longer can... Uh, uh, can can he really keep it going? I mean, I think he surprised everybody last year, but you know he gives it everything. And then you look at what I think might be the key as far as upping the goal, and they do need secondary scoring as well. But Larkin and Mantha and Marty Furk, uh, who has this boom of a shot that we've heard about. Dan Cleary told me I'm I'm a previous Red and White authority that it's the hardest shot he's ever seen at any level. That line, Young. Full of uh, you know vim and vigor, shall we say? But uh, uh, Larkin certainly needs to rebound. Mantha could hit 30, and Ferk is a wild card. But if his shot is accurate and he can get it on net, he at least is a weapon on the power play. And other guys that people don't talk about, Franz Nielsen's another right. one. He's right. a guy that uh, you know be that center ice position. And uh, you know last year. I was looking at his goals. He had 17 goals for the Red Wings. He's a 20-goal scorer, I believe, and, and his numbers can increase, too. Darren Helm's another guy who started off really well last year. He was popping in some goals, and then he always seems to get hurt. He's got to stay healthy. And, and Darren's that kind of guy that, uh, you know, he, he can frustrate the opponent. 
he's always dangerous in shorthanded situations when he's playing on the penalty kill. So, so he's another guy that can, can generate some numbers as well. And, and the two guys we didn't talk about are guys that made the team. David Booth. Right. Uh, is a guy that um, you know Jeff Blasher wanted to give him a tryout. He asked Kenny to get him to camp here, and, and he earned a spot on this team. I was impressed with David Booth um, and, and how he played. He likes to shoot the puck. He still has some speed. Um, he he can do things in close that are that are really good. The question with David Booth is, can he stay healthy? He had some concussion problems right. in the past, yes. serious concussion in the past, but I think he's okay now. Uh, he's that kind of guy that can lift up a team and give you energy, and he's a really good skater. And Luke Witkowski, I think the Red Wings need some toughness, and Luke Witkowski's a guy that can provide that toughness for Detroit. He's not afraid to drop the gloves. He'll protect the teammate, and he adds a physical element to the forecheck, which is good. Right, he certainly does. Uh, another guy that we should probably talk about, rebound, native Detroiter, who I know was really disappointed in his game last year, uh, is Danny DeKaiser. Danny DeKaiser is uh, on a long-term deal here. Uh, I, you know, I never begrudge anybody for, for, for the amount of money they make. That's not, that's not why I bring it up. But, I mean, he is here, uh, and I know that he really, really wants to rebound. And it looks, th thus far, he's being paired with Trevor Daly. That looks like a pretty good defensive pairing for Detroit. Yeah, well, you know, uh, both players can skate well. They can move the puck up the ice. I just think at times Danny was uh, a little bit above his element out there last year. And it's right. hard to be a shutdown defenseman going against the other team's top line game in and game out. It, and it's not to say that he can't do it, but, um, you know, the Red Wings with injuries and everything else going on the blue line last year, they really couldn't get guys out there to try and shut down Taves and Kane one night and then uh, Sidney Crosby and, and Malkin another night. And that's hard to do. That's why when we were talking about Nicholas Lidstrom, he had that ability to shut down the other team's top players. And then that made it easier for the, the, the next four defensive pairings. Right. So, so um, you know, Danny needs a rebound here. The other guy, also a Michigan native that we didn't talk about, is Justin Abdelkader. Yes. And he was hurt last year. He had a knee problem. He had a little bit of a groin pull in the preseason games. But again, I think his presence, especially on the power play, he needs he needs to score goals. I mean, he needs to find a way to put the puck in the back of the net. Last year, with, with all the injuries, he had seven goals. He's got to be up there around 15, 16, 17 goals, I think. And if he can do that, I think it'll just help the team. Let's uh, realistically, uh, if you look at all the prognosticators, obviously they're not prognosticating real good things for this team this year. However, if you look at it, uh, your assessment, and this will change in the course of the time. We know how a long season goes. Uh, uh, people ask me, what do you think? I say, well, if s some guys rebound, they stay relatively healthy. Uh, you know, uh, Peter Morazak uh, has his head on straight. Uh, they can compete for a playoff spot. I, I, I don't think I'm sounding too much like, uh, you know, I'm looking at the world through red and white tinted glasses. You know, Art, there's two teams, I think, in the Atlantic Division that are going to be tough to beat. One of them's Tampa Bay. The other are the Toronto Maple Leafs. Right. Everything else is up for grabs. And... Uh, the only thing that I'm looking into this season with the Red Wings, there's a lot of ifs, and we, we kind of talked about the ifs. You know, if the goaltending's good, if the special teams are good, if the players that had bad years can come back and have solid years this year and improve. There are a lot of ifs, and, and if the ifs are taken care of, this team can make the playoffs. 
let's face it, they're in they're in with everybody else. I right. think they're right in there with Boston and Montreal and Florida and Buffalo. Buffalo's going to be a little better team, I think, this year. But they're all grouped together. And and I'll tell you what, you if you if if another team had 300 man games lost injury, it, it'd be a hard time for them to make the playoffs too. And I'm not using that as an excuse. It's reality now in the National Hockey League. Well, the parity is parity's there. So, so with that said, and the other thing I think the Red Wings need to do, they need to play better against their divisional opponents. Right. You, if you want to finish in the top three, you've got to beat the teams that are in your division. And last year they played them close but they couldn't find a way to win. A lot of those games, they had leads going into the third period, only to see them lose in regulation or in overtime. They were good in a shootout. But again, you've got to beat Montreal, Toronto, Ottawa, Buffalo, Florida, everybody. You've got to have a better record if this team wants to finish in the top three in their division. Right. If you dominate your division, or at least are over 500 and get a lot of points, that it increases your chances of making the, pay, uh, the playoffs tremendously. Absolutely. I mean, you, you, have to, you have to do well in your own division. Ken, I know we have to wrap it up because uh, uh, you said you wanted to go two hours, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but we can't do that. But I wanted to ask you a couple of questions because yep. I get this asked all the time. We've seen a lot of hockey. You've been the Red Wing broadcaster now for you 22 know, years. 22 years. Uh, you know, you were Michigan's broadcaster for 11. 11 after that, so you've been. <laughs> I'm just giving you the numbers. No, I, I, I know him too. No, anyway, but you've been doing it a long time. I, I get to ask this question a lot, and I'm just going to ask you that. Who was the greatest Red Wing player that you've seen? Not since we grew up, because I, I would say Gordy Howe. Yeah, me too. You know, but, uh, but since you've been doing this, since you've been behind the broadcast booth, because you've seen a lot of great Red Wing players. Well, I think it's a tie. I can't pick one, and I and I say this because one's a forward and one's a defenseman. Obviously, Steve Eiserman, uh, you know, I saw him in his prime to the end, and and he was terrific, and and he had that will to win, and he'd do anything to win, and and he played, and this is what amazes me about Steve. He, his threshold for pain was unbelievable. Like like I wish I could, I could tell the fans listening right now. I mean, all the things that I've seen were where, you know, it didn't even look like he could walk, you know, on the, at the morning skate. And the next thing you know, he's out there playing and giving it his all. And then after the game, if we had to fly somewhere else, he could barely make it up the steps of the plane. And then he was getting treatment on the plane. Well, that 2002 Western Conference Final, I mean, the, that whole playoff run, he... I mean, he was amazing. Yeah, very much. He'd get knocked down. He couldn't get up. He'd have to use his stick as a cane to lift himself up because one of his knees was so bad. He had a bad neck. I don't know how he did it. And despite all that, he was one of the greatest goal scorers of all time and a highly competitive guy. So I would say Steve Eiserman and the other players, Nicholas Lidstrom. Right. Um, I saw Bobby Orr play, and uh, you know he was terrific. Nicholas Lidstrom wasn't as flashy as Bobby Orr as far as bringing the puck up the right. ice. But he was consistent as consistent could be. And he was, you know, he could pro provide offense. He could shut you down defeat defensively. He, to me, is one of the top three defensemen of all time. And we were lucky here in Detroit to be able to see him for so many years. Right. And finally, greatest opposition player you ever saw. Wow. And that's a lot of good ones, too. You know, I, I saw Wayne Gretzky late in his career right. when he was with Los Angeles. Then he went to... Uh, St. Louis and, and the Rangers. And, and the Rangers. Uh, I wish I could have seen him live or call his games when he was with the Edmonton Oilers because right. I could say, you know, he he was the greatest. And I still think that, you know, he was a really good hockey player, great hockey player. Um, 
same thing with Marcel Dion. You know, I always thought he was great. I saw him oh, yeah. as a little kid growing up. Um, you know, as, as much as people here in, in Detroit give Sidney Crosby a bad name and they don't like him, uh, you know, I, I'd love to have him on my team. He, to me, he's one of the greatest players that I've seen play as far as announcing. He can do it all, and he's got the cups to prove it. Now, people here don't like him, but they don't like him because he's that good. And, right. um, you know, I, I think he was one of the best that I've seen. There, there's so many of them. Connor McDavid's going to be good. Austin Matthews is going to be good, right. too. But um, I'll tell you what, he was pretty good. Jerome McGinley was pretty good, too, not just because of his shot and, and he could score from anywhere on the ice. But, uh, yeah, it's, I'd say Sidney Crosby. One final question. I asked Henrik Zetterberg this yesterday. Are you surprised that how young the league is becoming and how 18- and 19-year-olds are not just making the team, they are impactful players in today's NHL? Yeah, that is a surprise because this is a tough league. But with that said, uh, they're talented hockey players. We mentioned Matthews. We mentioned Connor McDavid. Um, and Jack Eichel. You know, Jack Eichel and, and – um, you know, all the, the Winnipeg, you know, they've got, you know, when Shifley came in and, right. and you know, the, who's the young kid uh, last year? He was a rookie and I, the name escapes me right Lon, now. Line Patrick yeah. Line Yes. Just amazing talent out there. And, and um, you know, the talent is there. The problem is you're, you're not going to get that talent unless you're really, really bad. And, and you're going to be bad for some time. Now, the Wings are in a process right now where they're trying to rebuild on the fly. And, and try to stay competitive, but if you're if you're that way, you're not going to get those players like McDavid and everybody else. So you know it's it's kind of a double-edged sword. But with that said, I agree with you. The talent's great, and you got to be able to skate in today's game. If you don't skate, you you can't play in the NHL. You know, Ken, uh, doing what we do keeps us young at heart, I guess, and keeps us young. I mean, we both. Uh, you know, we both look much younger than, uh, you know, like 20, 25 years younger. But I, and, and I think it's because we cover, we cover professional athletes. Uh, we're going to have to end it there. Yep. Uh, you know, obviously you're going to be a, uh, on the Red and White Authority throughout the season. Yep. We do appreciate your time. Uh, it does not seem like it was 22 years ago that uh, you called your first Red Wing game. That's, uh, that's pretty amazing. I remember being at your press conference when you were introduced. I was beaming with pride like a father would for his son. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was, it was a great day not only for you but for all of us. Uh, you do an absolutely tremendous job. You've been a friend of mine for much longer than those yep. 22 years. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for doing this, and we'll talk to you very soon. Art, it's been a pleasure. And, again, uh, you know, for a kid growing up in Detroit like myself and you, um, we always wanted to be a part of the Red Wings in some way. I know I did, and I remember when my, I was 10 years old, my dad bought me a tape recorder, and I would tape Bruce Martin and Bud Lynch and run around the house doing play-by-play. -play. And I told him when I was 10 years old, I said, one day I want to be the Red Wing announcer. Now, you never know where you're going to go in life, where the road's going to take you. Fortunately for me, uh, I've been able to stay in the state of Michigan calling Michigan hockey games and now 22 years with the Red Wings. So this is really a dream come true, and I appreciate each and every moment, and I enjoy working with you as well. Well, I feel the same way, and I will tell you, for Christmas, my parents got me a little old tape recorder, real small, real real-to-real thing. And what I used to do, I didn't call games. I used to be a host of a sports show, and I would make my friends like Bart Starr or whomever, you know. You were ahead of your time. And I would interview them. I would interview them. Then they didn't have sports talk no, radio. No, they didn't. They, they did not. And that's what I used to do. And in Gordy Howe's retirement, I, uh, with Dan Kelly and Bill Mazur, I believe was the gentleman's name, I taped that off the... Uh, uh, off, the TV. off the TV, where Vice President, then Vice President Spiro Agnew said, uh, 
you know, when usually people retire, uh, they put they you know they put them on they say that they put them on ice. What people wouldn't give to put Gordy Howe back on the ice, and obviously Gordy took it to heart because he kept coming back. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't want to quit. He did not. But he was a great player. Thanks, Ken. Appreciate it. All right, Art. Thank you. Always a pleasure.